Deloitte Private, offering audit, consulting, tax, and advisory professional services to allow private companies to address today's challenges and shape tomorrow's opportunities. Connect with us at Deloitte.com slash US slash private. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Hi, everyone. I'm Paul Anka. And I'm Skip Bronson. And what happens when two old friends take their decades of experience in the business and entertainment worlds and sit down with our buddies? You get our way. A brand new show from My Heart Podcast where we chop it up with our pals about everything under the sun. This is our podcast, and we're going to do it our way. Listen to Our Way on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Dana Perkins, and you're listening to Switched On, the BNEF podcast. It's safe to say that bank financing is a critical component of the energy transition if we want to decarbonize. In order to move forward with a net zero future, low carbon technologies are going to need to supersede fossil fuels, as will the investment in them. So where are we now and where should we be in terms of this investment? Well, one way to look at it is through ratios. For every dollar that goes into high carbon sources, how much should we really be putting into low carbon technologies? BNEF took a look at this in our energy supply banking ratios. In order to meet a climate scenario that is aligned with a 1.5 degree warming, real economy investment and bank financing for low carbon energy needs to meet an average ratio of four to one. That's $4 of clean energy investment for every one in fossil fuels. And that is over the current decade that we're in right now. So what does the banking ratio look like? When we first started looking into this in 2021, it was at 0.75 to 1. Our latest report updates the numbers for 2022. And on today's show, we are going to let you know just how close we are getting to that 4 to 1 target. I'm joined today by two of BNEF's Sustainable Finance Associates, Trina White and Ryan Lockhead. We talk about the ratios and we also get into how energy financing works in different parts of the world and how geography can have an impact on investment in low-carbon energy and fossil fuels. Given the backdrop of rising interest rates and geopolitical tensions, we also get into how the energy sector as a whole has been performing against the wider market for debt and equity. And finally, building on that 4 to 1 average ratio by 2030, we also discuss what we'll need to see in terms of ratios in the coming decades. A summary of the energy supply, investment, and bank financing ratios 2022 can be found on our public site at bnef.com, and our subscribers will be able to get a more detailed version alongside the ESBR web tool, also on bnef.com and on bnef at the Bloomberg Terminal. Right now, though, let's jump into our conversation with Trina and Ryan. Trina, thank you for joining today. Thank you for having us, Dana. And Ryan, thank you for joining the show. Thanks, Dana. So we are here today to talk about energy supply, investment, and banking facilitated finance ratios. 
That is a mouthful, but as complicated as that phrase sounds, it's actually quite simple when we get down to it in terms of the problem that you were trying to solve. And what is the overarching question when you started doing this research that was really guiding where you were going? So we had two major questions with this research. Number one is, what is the role that banks play in facilitating progress on climate change? The second is, what are banks doing right now in terms of financing the energy sector and the low-carbon transition? So what does financing look like on both the low-carbon side or the sort of climate solution side, and then also on the fossil fuel side, so the emissions-creating side? A lot of BNF coverage and a lot of what we speak about on this show is focused around specific clean energy technologies, power markets, and different decarbonization strategies. So to set the scene on why we ended up in introducing a metric like the energy supply banking ratios, can you help us understand what we've been seeing from banks in the climate space in recent years? And really, how should we think about the role of banks in particular? This is a really important question. Um, Ryan and I sit on the corporate sustainability team here at BNF. And as a whole, for the past around decade or so, we've seen a lot of focus on corporations in what we sort of call the real economy, setting increasingly ambitious climate goals, um, specifically emissions reductions goals. Nowadays, this is usually in the form of a net zero goal. So a company saying we're going to decrease our emissions profile to zero by 2050, for example. So typically for a corporation in the real economy, like a utility or a consumer goods company, this would be focused around a combination of the carbon that they're directly responsible for emitting or associated with their electricity usage or their supply chain. So I want to differentiate that from financial institutions and banks specifically. For financials, their climate or emissions impact, it looks a lot different. It doesn't necessarily sit in their electricity usage, just in their office buildings. Instead, financial institutions are super important in the transition because of what they finance. So their core, you know, business activity. And that's in the projects and the companies that they help access financing. So access capital. Because of that, there's been a lot of focus on what we would call financed or facilitated emissions with financial institutions. One of the major ways in which banks and their stakeholders have been thinking about measuring climate progress is in terms of putting a measure of CO2 emissions against, for example, their loans to a heavy emitting company. So a loan for a gas pipeline or to ExxonMobil, for example, and quantifying what those financed emissions look like and then setting their target against that. This has been a really important innovation um, in terms of how we can separate out financial institutions and the really important role that they play from real economy companies. But in practice, when we focus exclusively on financed emissions, the incentive that we're setting up is for divestment. So if a bank were to reduce its financed emissions to zero, that would incentivize them to sell off heavy emitting assets or, you know, not offer lending to heavy emitting companies. In practice, a financial institution that may have less stringent climate targets or maybe less public in the way it needs to report on its transactions may sort of pick up those pieces. Um, In practice, we see what's called transferred emissions from a big bank with these climate targets to, for example, a private equity firm. 
The other two ways in which banks and stakeholders have been thinking about climate progress is in the form of green financing targets. So on the low carbon side, a bank like Bank of America or J.P. Morgan, each having a $1 trillion target for green or climate initiatives. And the last way in which mostly external stakeholders have been thinking about this is a fossil fuel phase out. So on the dirty side, um, a lot of NGOs have been asking banks to immediately phase out all of their financing for fossil fuels. This has been the focus of a number of high profile protests and interruptions at conferences and events, for example, asking CEOs of banks to create a rule where they wouldn't lend to a fossil fuel company, for example. Now, none of these approaches are are perfect. And in many ways, the work that we set out to do here, it seeks to address some of the shortcomings in existing metrics and frameworks for thinking about progress for banks specifically. And so we are trying to set this up in the context of climate science and what climate scenarios say that we need from financial institutions in particular. So since we're here to talk about the specific piece of analysis that, you know, you and your team did, let's get a little background on the report itself. Can you explain what this report is and also isn't? So the report analyzes factors affecting both capital investments as as well as financing and it updates our analysis on how banks were facilitating the energy transition or not facilitating it from last year. It's It's our way of assessing how financial institutions are contributing to the energy transition. Previously, a lot of the work that you might have seen assessing financial institutions on this topic would have come from civic society, NGOs, those types of organizations, and it really would have focused on the volumes of financing going to fossil fuels and not really looking at anything other than that. And the results coming from those pieces of research would have really just shown you that North American bulge bracket banks were financing the most fossil fuels. That's true. We find that as well. We also find that North American bulge bracket banks are financing the most clean energy. So the outcome of that sort of research is really just telling you that big banks are very active and doing lots of deals. That's not totally revealing or particularly shocking. So the report then takes this ratio of clean energy to fossil fuel financing so that you can normalize and actually compare a JP Morgan, who is a behemoth to someone who's still pretty big, but slightly smaller, like a Goldman Sachs or Morgan Stanley or anyone else. So that's how it started. So here we've arrived now to the ratios. So what are the energy supply investment and banking financing ratios, the specific term that we use to describe what it is that we're assessing in this report? Because there are so many words in each of those titles for each ratio, I'm going to quickly define um, what we mean by investment versus financing. So for the energy supply investment, we mean capital expenditures. So in this specific case, we mean capital expenditures that real economy companies are spending on energy supply infrastructure, whether that's a solar plant or the infrastructure for extracting fossil fuels. When we talk about bank financing ratios, we're discussing the capital that banks are helping those real economy companies raise, whether that's for their core business activities or also for specific infrastructure. So these terms differ in terms of for bank financing, that's the underlying debt, equity, and project finance, as opposed to literal money being spent on a solar project. We'll dig into these numbers much deeper in a few moments. 
guidance, but just to provide the the overarching results that we're going to expand upon. Real economy investment in 2022 reached parity between fossil fuels and low carbon supply. The the ratio between low carbon capital investments and fossil fuels in 2022 reached parity at about one to one. In contrast, bank financing, so the deals happening between banks and those real economy companies, the ratio remained relatively level, but decreased slightly from about 75% low carbon to fossil fuels in 2021 to 73% low carbon to fossil fuels in 2022. So help put this into context a bit. How should we be considering the energy sector when it comes to investment in the real economy versus investment, well, on the bank financing side? So what we mean by putting this in terms of the broader climate context is we try to tie these numbers to what the underlying climate scenarios that are consistent with 1.5 degrees say we would need to meet in terms of this metric. And so what we did is we took a look at seven of the most commonly cited climate scenarios that would get us to 1.5 degrees. These come from climate modeling organizations like the IPCC, the International Energy Agency, and the Network for Greening the Financial System. All of these scenarios take into account very different assumptions. And so when you translate them to what they mean in terms of energy sector investment, we end up with very different total levels required over each decade. We split all of these estimates into low carbon versus fossil fuels, to look at the relationship between both sides of the climate solutions versus the sort of climate problem. All of these scenarios tend to converge when we look in terms of that relationship, the ratio between low carbon and fossil fuels. So across those seven commonly cited scenarios, the ratio required to be met to be consistent with 1.5 degrees is a minimum of four times as much low carbon investment as fossil fuels this decade. And this increases really dramatically over time. So we get an average of six times as much low carbon in the 2030s and 10 times as much low carbon in the 2040s. So when I say that the ratio of real economy investment is at about one to one in 2022 and was at about 0.7 to one for bank financing, this is really nowhere close to what we would need to see in terms of a necessary target consistent with 1.5 degrees Celsius of warming globally. That's why we calculate these ratios. We want to see a metric that is more closely tied tied to what the underlying climate science says instead of just quantifying, you know, X dollars of financing is going to fossil fuels and there's no context there. Of course, we know that we need to see low carbon investment increase and fossil fuels decline. But when we're able to actually take that relationship and compare it to those seven climate scenarios, this is a much more useful metric. So I'm just going to pause for a second and reiterate what I feel like is really, in its simplest sense, the biggest takeaway from this is that if we're at a one to one investment ratio, we need it to be four to one right now, six to one in 2030 and 10 to one by 2040. There is some work to be done. Now, we do this report, well, it's our second time doing this report and looking at this information, and we put it out at the end of 2023, which is why we're quoting 2022 numbers. So when we compare 2022 with the previous version, looking at the 2021 numbers, did we see a rise in low-carbon capital investments when looking at these two years? 
The short answer to that question is yes, we did. And that's regardless of the source that we used to, to count that or track that investment. Low carbon investment is, is going up unequivocally. The extent of fossil fuel investment, on the other hand, is a bit of a mixed picture. It's gone up since 2020 year on year. But if you look a little bit further back, it's still trending downwards. As Trina mentioned earlier, what's being revealed is that when looking at energy supply investment volumes, low carbon investment is now on a parity with fossil fuel investment. And that's at about $1 trillion each. Uh, we've looked at the IEA for those numbers. And if you look at the IEA's World Energy Outlook, those aren't necessarily the numbers you're going to see. And the reason for that is because the IEA is including the broader energy ecosystem, if you like, which includes both uh, energy supply things, so anything that's generating or storing electrons or being drilled out of the ground, as well as anything that's used to consume energy, so transport, energy efficiency, anything related to the demand side, if you like. So our analysis stripped that out just so that we were looking at the supply side of the energy equation, and that's how we've got to this $1 trillion to $1 trillion. Even if you look at other sources, so BNF's own ETIT energy transition investment trends or renewable energy investment trends, the investment into low carbon is trending very much the same way, even if the volumes change as the methodology is, is not quite the same. So we're pivoting the conversation back and forth between the real economy and then what's happening within the finance industry on public debt and equity issuances. Can you talk about the energy sector and how it performed against the wider market when we're looking at debt and equity. Sure. So this this research took on a bit of a different lens this year because it became not just a story about what banks were choosing to do, but it also became a story about energy-linked capital markets. And when I, I say capital markets, what I mean is publicly traded debt instruments like bonds and equity assurances um, th- through channels like IPOs and in initial public offerings. What bonds and equity issuances are, they're ways for large entities, like corporations, to borrow money on the, on the market. It is essentially a big loan split up into even chunks, which then, instead of a bank providing providing the capital, they, the capital is provided by investors in the wider market, and you've got access to a much bigger pool of capital, and therefore you can get it on better terms than you would on a, a bank loan, generally speaking. And where banks come into that is they underwrite it, and that means they, they price it and they bring it to market. They're the buyer of first and, and last resort. So that's what we, we mean when we're talking about bank-facilitated financing. Broader capital market activity has fallen globally. Fixed income security issuance decreased from $27.3 trillion in 2021 to $22.5 trillion. So almost a $5 trillion fall. It's quite it's quite something. Equity issuances were even more drastic. Um, there's quite a lot in the news. If you read Bloomberg News, they talk a lot about the, the, the Darth of IPOs recently. Well, that's what we've seen as well. It's it's fallen from about $1.1 trillion to $0.4 trillion. It's a 60% fall. It's, it's pretty stark. Low carbon energy capital markets fell roughly in line with wider market. So they fell by about 17.5% from 21 to 22, which is uh, in, on the fixed income side, which is similar to the wider market. Equity issuances were not as badly affected as the wider market by about 28%. Fossil fuel energy supply capital markets sort of defied the decline seen in the wider market. So fossil fuel linked fixed income issuances exper- experienced quite a modest drop of 10.3%. And equity issuance actually grew by about 3% as well. So completely changed the sign, not just more resilient. Um, Possible explanation is that fossil fuel companies have sought to exploit higher share prices seen in the industry versus market movements for global sector neutral equity indices. Um, And low low carbon energy firms also saw stock markets fall. So this is is why these sort of movements against the wider market have, have been transpiring. 
So did the bank financing volumes for energy supply really track alongside the real economy capital investment when we looked at 2022? So these are two fundamentally different quantities, and they're linked, but they're not sort of expected to be precisely aligned. So factors that would cause real economy capital investment to differ from bank financing volumes include the fact that spending and financing decisions of companies, they change according to market conditions. And they may have raised financing, but decide to spend it at different times. Or they may decide to spend their own capital if they are highly profitable. Um, And they're making a lot of their own money that they can spend off of their own balance sheet. So to answer your question, in 2021, it's perhaps sort of a coincidence that we actually did see bank financing track similar to the real economy, uh, both in terms of volume um, and slightly less in terms of ratio. In 2021, um, the the volume of bank financing in the energy sector ended up mirroring pretty closely real economy. The key message for 2022 is that we actually saw a divergence in terms of the volume and the ratio between bank financing and real economy investment. So the banking ratio fell slightly from about 75% low carbon to fossil fuels to 73% low carbon to fossil fuels, whereas the investment ratio had gone up slightly from just about 0.98 to parity, one-to-one in 2022. Deloitte Private. Private companies seek bold innovation, sector-defining ideas, and clear roadmaps for technology and workforce transformation. Deloitte Private's tailored services and solutions and cutting-edge tools can allow private companies to gain access to industry insights that you can use to identify opportunities and build your future. Connect with us at Deloitte.com slash US slash private. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple. 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Good song. The Johnny Carson theme, right? Hey, who wrote that? Skip, who do you think? It's your buddy. Hi, everyone. I'm Paul Anka. And I'm Skip Bronson. And what happens when two old friends take their decades of experience in the business and entertainment worlds and sit down with our buddies? You get Our Way, a brand new show from My Heart Podcast, where we chop it up with our pals about everything under the sun. Hear about Michael Bublé's entrance into show business. And get business insight from Mark Burnett. Find out what scares my son-in-law, Jason Bateman. And discover the bragging rights that come with beating Michael Jordan at golf. Together, we know just about everything everybody, including sitting presidents. So join us as we ask the questions they've not been asked before, tell it like it is, and even sing a song or two. This is our podcast, and we're going to do it our way. Listen to Our Way on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. So 2022 saw interest rates rise, and this has been a theme across several of the shows that we have actually had. How have interest rate rises impacted energy financing? 
Yeah, as you mentioned, this is this is a theme not just for capital markets, but across the entire economy globally. Um, it, it's a it's a well trodden path, but back in 2022, when Russia invaded Ukraine, energy an energy crisis led to inflation. How most central banks decided to deal with that was to put up their base rates, and then that translated to the most part to higher yields on bond issuances, which in layman's language that just means borrowing money is more expensive and therefore to most clients in the wider economy and in the energy sector going to the capital markets for for debt or equity is not as attractive as it was as it was previously uh, so we we tracked and we did a bit of a regression analysis on how interest rates moved for nearly every region and we broke this down at a regional level where interest rates had gone up and we talk about interest rates, we measured the change, the relative change in 10-year government bond yields. Where they had gone up, almost universally, energy supply financing volumes had fallen. Conversely, this sort of narrative where interest rates went up around the world isn't technically true. And there's there's a big exception to this rule. And in China, 10-year government bond yields actually fell. And where they fell, China's the only region where financing of the energy supply sector actually actually rose. So it, it's pretty clear to us from this work that the energy sector and energy capital markets are sensitive to, to interest rates. Now, that might seem intuitive to most of the Bloomberg audience, but now we actually have evidence to, to say that it is true. So there was a change where there was a gap that actually occurred between the capital expenditure and bank financing. Why has this occurred and where has the money really come from? Yeah, we've spent many, many late nights in the office in the last few months trying to explain that question because we sort of assumed after the first time we did this report that the two were pretty intrinsically linked and where financing goes up or capital investment goes up, so does the other one. That wasn't the case this time around. So we had to take a bit of a deep dive into our company universe. And we're talking about around 15,000 companies who are linked to the energy supply sector in, in any capacity and start looking at where could they possibly have found the capacity to invest in 2022, because we're pretty sure it didn't come from borrowing on the capital markets. So what we did managed to uncover is that the cash flows from operations from these companies, and by that we mean the cash that they generate just through their normal business activities, so if that's producing parts for the power sector or if it's generating electricity, they had seen quite a spike, which meant that they were left with quite a bit of cash left over, which they could then use to invest. And even when we take into account sort of non-capital expenditure cash outflows, so share buybacks, debt servicing, debt repayments, they were still left with quite a bit of money left over and that would have been mainly generated just by the spikes in commodity prices and oil and gas power prices in 2022 relative to 2021. It's not clear that that's going to happen again because those prices have fallen back down considerably since their 2022 highs but it really it it did fit almost quite nicely that there's this unique combination of macro and microeconomic factors that led us to explain these results. So one of the things we did as a part of this was a bit of analysis on the specific banks. Can you give me a, an idea of who some of the top banks were by energy financing volume? Yes. So we looked at over a thousand banks, which engaged in some form of energy supply underwriting in 2022. Of those 1,000 banks, the top 10 by volume are you know, what you might expect. They're the major banks in the U.S., like J.P. Morgan, Bank of America, Citi, Wells Fargo, and then some of the major banks in APAC and Europe. So MUFG, BNP Paribas, 
et cetera, et cetera. Now, I think it's a lot more interesting to, A, look at the change in volume between 2021 and 22, and then also to zero in on the ratio, so the energy supply banking ratio. In terms of volume, most of the major banks in the U.S. and in Europe saw financing volumes decline hugely. So with J.P. Morgan, just as an example, since it's the top underwriter in both years, it saw a drop in volume from over $90 billion in 2021 to about $70 billion in 2022. In terms of the ratio of these top 10 banks that are financing so much of the energy sector, only two banks had more low carbon financing than fossil fuels. That's Bank of America at about parity, one to one, and BNP Paribas at in 2022, 1.4 times as much low carbon financing as fossil fuels. Now, I'm just going to tie that again to what we said the climate scenarios show us we would need to be at. Again, that's an average of four to one over the course of this decade the 2020s. So if we're seeing just the top performers among those large energy supply financers only at, you know, 1.4, 1.0, most of these banks less than parity between low carbon and fossil fuels, that's really concerning in terms of, of meeting our climate targets. And I actually did want to point out This is based on our research of deal-level data and transactions that we're seeing between specific banks and companies, but it actually does track some of the self-reported figures from banks themselves on the green side. So I had mentioned that a lot of these large banks are setting targets around how much climate finance or sustainability green finance they want to do, and they report against this in their yearly ESG reports. So from some of these same banks like J. JP Morgan, their own reported figure for broader green financing outside of just energy declined 34% from 106 billion in 2021 to 70 billion in 2022. That's consistent also with, you know, Bank of America as an example, who reported um, just 50% as much low carbon or green financing in 2022 as in 2021. We had a number of conversations with banks, both their sustainability teams as well as their infrastructure financing teams prior to publishing this report, and they sort of reiterated a lot of the macroeconomic factors and challenges that Ryan was just speaking about in terms of you know, what was actually going on and why their low carbon business didn't grow in such a way that they actually would have hoped that it would. Can we take a moment to actually talk then about a specific high carbon technology? So that's coal, which has a different role to play in different parts of the world. So you look at countries like the U.S., where coal retirements have really caused the energy sector to rapidly decarbonize. And meanwhile, in other parts of the world, let's say India or South Africa, new coal fired power stations are going in. How on the financing side of things, how is coal being seen and how what do the ratios tell us about the investment in coal when we think about a low carbon future and other fossil fuel sources and what might be in store when we're thinking about financing? 
Yeah, I'm glad you brought this up. Obviously, the overarching ratios that we talk about are low carbon to the total of fossil fuels. But like you said, there really is a distinction to be made, particularly in terms of the climate impact of these different types of fossil fuels. Um, And so this year, it was actually new that we broke out oil and gas financing from coal financing and also tracked that similarly against what climate scenarios say that we would need to get to in terms of those metrics in particular. In 2022, we saw coal financing at about 13% of the total amount of fossil fuel bank financing that we measured in 2022. Both in terms of of real economy investment in coal infrastructure and in terms of bank financing, we need to see that decline much more rapidly than oil and gas, um, just because of how much of the climate consequence of coal is much, much more dramatic than for oil and gas. Now, the vast majority of the coal financing that we saw in 2022 was in China. Um, And so a lot of the solution around managing the phase out of coal powered assets, but also stopping that pipeline of flow of new financing is going to happen in China. So 135 banks have committed to net zero financed emissions by 2050 and have joined the Net Zero Banking Alliance. Can you explain a little bit more what this is? Yes. So I mentioned at the at the beginning of our conversation that banks have started jumping on to that overarching trend of companies setting net zero commitments. So this is a alliance of banking institutions that have said they're going to reduce their financed emissions to zero by 2050. This is under kind of a wider umbrella called the Glasgow Financial Alliance for Net Zero or the GFANS, which includes other financial institutions like asset managers, asset owners insurers. This came out of COP in Glasgow in 2021. And so these banks have that strong overarching climate commitment. And so it's interesting to see whether or not the banks that have made that commitment look different in terms of this metric, the energy supply banking ratio, than the banking community writ large. Trina, Ryan, thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you for having us, Dana. Thanks, Dana. Switched On is produced by Cam Gray with production assistance from Kamala Schelling and Lushi Karunaratne. Bloomberg NEF is a service provided by Bloomberg Finance LP and its affiliates. This recording does not constitute nor should it be construed as investment advice, investment recommendations, or a recommendation as to an investment or other strategy. Bloomberg NEF should not be considered as information sufficient upon which to base an investment decision. Neither Bloomberg Finance LP nor any of its affiliates makes any representation or warranty as to the accuracy or completeness of the information contained in this recording and any liability as a result of this recording is expressly disclaimed. Hi, everyone. I'm Paul Anka. And I'm Skip Bronson. And what happens when two old friends take their decades of experience in the business and entertainment worlds and sit down with our buddies? You get our way, a brand new show from My Heart Podcast, where we chop it up with our pals about everything under the sun. This is our podcast, and we're going to do it our way. Listen to Our Way on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.